Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Accidental Plan. So today, my guest is my co-host, Aaron Christopher. He's somebody that I've known for a long time, and I really like that Aaron's really generous with sharing ideas, collaborating, giving feedback. He doesn't hold back, and he really gives a straight opinion, and that's really valuable. So what I wanted to talk to him for a long time about was his film, Listen. He made a really personal film, and I really applaud him for that. It's something that tackles a lot of issues that youth have today and just society in general. Because it's such a personal movie, it really is genuine. So I'm just going to talk to him a little bit about the movie, where it comes from, his story, why he made it. So I hope you enjoy. Buckle up and let's dive on in. Just tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background. Tell me about Listen. What's it about? I was born and raised in uh, a small farming community in Northern California. I spent most of my life there until I went off to college in uh, at Santa Clara University in California and then moved down to Los Angeles for a couple of years to work and then moved to, to San Francisco to work a couple of years and then ended up going to uh, film school in Montreal, Canada and then basically settled in Montreal, Canada, where I started making uh, films, writing, directing, and producing. Because you've done a little bit of everything. I mean, you've definitely done a lot of writing, producing, directing. You've made a couple short films, and Listen being your first feature film, right? Yes. So tell me about Listen. What's it about? And Because I know it is actually a personal story. It is. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I I hate answering that question. Because you get it all the what, time. What's it about? And Because it's about a lot a lot of things, but I, I know people want it to be very clear and concise. The big vague answer is listen is about the importance of listening, what happens when you don't. And what I mean by listening, not just what most people think about when you hear the word listen or listening in the sense that you're giving your attention with your ear, but more uh, focused on the original root of the word listen, which uh, simply means to pay attention to. So what happens when we don't pay attention, see, hear, think, and feel? And, and also about how really how we listen defines what happens to us and those that we love. As far as the specific story, it follows a group of diverse youth socially, ethnically, economically, in a high school in rural America as they basically navigate the challenges that they're facing. We also follow a bit of their parents um, and, a, and a counselor who's been brought into this new school after a school shooting has rocked another high school district and basically the state. What we end up doing is starting the film when this new girl transfers to the school and this girl is came from the school where they had the shooting. And we start to see how their lives are seemingly disconnected, but the more they fail to pay attention to how connected they really are, their lives start to unravel in tragic and chaotic ways. What was your mindset before, you know, you had the idea in the back of your mind, you wanted to make this movie. What were you doing? And what, what was at that point where you kind of said, okay, this is something that I'm going to start to tackle and, uh, kind of really kind of push this button. What I was doing 
prior was running a company that I had developed that was creating educational focused content such as educational films, but then also delivering live experiences with speakers that would go into school, show the film, and then deconstruct the film from a personal perspective. And showing these films and talking about how these issues really connected to youth and also how they were personally connected to me. And over the course of 10 years I started of doing this, I started to realize that I could do what we were doing much, much better, and we needed to reevaluate how we were doing it. Was it also a little bit of a, of a left turn, also because you were doing a lot of public speaking where you said, I really just want to kind of tackle a film and just kind of do something a little bit different, because it's different than what you were doing. Yeah, writing a story from scratch, being able to work on a set and with a crew and with actors. I had been yearning to do that and it had been some time since I had done that. And so I thought that this would be a great opportunity to kind of focus on a subject that I felt like we were not focusing on and really infuse it with all of the knowledge and experience I was gaining from the people that I was communicating and connecting with through my travels and through my speaking and ultimately create a tool that would you know, really be used to help offer a new perspective and, and ultimately, hopefully shift people's behaviors. How long did you have the story inside you before you kind of tackled it and put pen to paper? Wow. I mean, honestly, I think the story started to percolate when I, I first got interested in the subject. And I would say that started after the, uh, the Columbine high school shooting back in 1999. I've always wanted to create a film that kind of expressed what I felt like we weren't focusing enough on, and that was this youth perspective. So I think I started thinking about how I can make a project about this, and then the educational films became a sidetrack to gain more knowledge about the subject. And then as I was speaking to more and more youth and parents, educators, counselors, and administrators, I started to see scenes play out over and over again when I traveled, I would hear students say the same things. I'd hear people complain about the same things. So I started to started to take notes on some of the, the issues and ideas that people were bringing to my attention and, and figuring out how I could turn that into a unique story that would express how they feel. I'm just going to go back even a little bit more. And why are you so passionate about, you know, students and their stories? Like, where does that come from? I think it comes from a lot of different places, but I think, number one, I can remember my youth quite vividly. Your youth is a very influential time in your life. And I think we, we sometimes don't consider how much of an impact it has on, on the rest of our development as a person and in our trajectory. I think a lot about how my youth shaped who I am and also how I'm, as a father, shaping the trajectory of my children in their youth. And number two, the Columbine High School shooting had a very a big impact on me and, and what I noticed is that no one was asking the youth why this could happen. So when I created the student shot films, that was my opportunity to really ask the youth if there was something that they felt adults were missing. And then the third is very personal. You know, thinking about my youth, there was a an incident that happened when I was uh, 14 years old and freshman in high school where one person really changed my trajectory by paying attention listening to me. And that was my uh, older brother. 
And basically the situation was that someone had uh, threatened me uh, saying he was going to show up the next day at school, called my house and threatened and said he was going to show up the next day at school and beat me up with 10 of his homies because he heard I liked his girlfriend. And instead of telling anybody, I took a a 20 gauge shotgun that I learned to hunt with and took it apart and put it in my football duffel bag with a box of shotgun shells and planned to go to school the next day. And my brother had walked in our room, we shared a room, and I was sitting on the bed looking down at this duffel bag zipped up and he asked me what was, what was wrong and I just said nothing, not even looking up at him. And instead of listening to my words, he listened to the body language and what I, you know, how scared and, and anxious I looked on, and the fact that I wouldn't look at, up at him, but I was looking at this bag. So he walked over and unzipped the bag and saw what was inside and asked me really what was going on. And I told him, and long story short, he told my parents, they traced, called the police, traced the phone ball back to the guy's house and solved the situation. But one moment could have just turned out your life in a total different way. Absolutely. And I didn't realize that at that moment. Decisions. Um, yeah. And I was 14 and the next day my parents kept us home from school and I never told anybody that story. And then several years later, my brother actually was killed in a tragic accident eight months before Columbine happened. And then when Columbine happened, I was really quite engrossed in what was happening and I didn't really understand why. And so speaking to the youth and giving them the cameras gave, gave me an opportunity to explore youth in general and my own youth. And became a cathartic way to deal with my brother's passing. But ultimately, I think it kind of set me on this path to uncover some of these truths that we don't really like to think about, speak about, or even heal from. Yeah, all those things are always very hard. I mean, something that, as tragic as that, and you got two ingredients that really kind of ends up setting your focus in a direction. And it's amazing how you turned that just into a positive you know, made a whole new focus out of it for yourself. I'll never forget when my brother passed away and I was at, I was at the funeral and, you know, people come up to you and say all kinds of things in a, you know, tragic and traumatic situation like that. And I'll never forget, I don't even remember who this person was, but said, it's going to get a whole lot worse. Wow. And yeah, I don't never forget. What's the backstory? Why are they saying that? I mean, mentally, I mean... I have no idea, but I'll never forget that. And that was a moment that made me realize that I had to find a way to make it better. And he's right. It did get a lot worse, but I think... You're very self-aware. <laughs> oh, thank you. Because a lot of people, maybe something like that will happen and they won't really acknowledge it or especially at a young age where we've, we're so confused. You know, we don't know what we're going to do in life. There's so many ifs. There's so many different opportunities. You don't kind of realize these things until later in life, how much choice you have and how many good choices and bad choices there can be. It's good to be self-aware. You have that in you. You got a little as Bruce Lee self-aware that's going on. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that. I, I, it's funny, I don't consider myself self-aware, so I, I appreciate you saying that. I think that happens when you allow yourself to think deeply about the experiences that you've had and, and, and really, and being extremely honest with how they shaped you as a person. And when I was creating that initial project and dealing with my brother's passing, I forced myself to do it. And then honestly... Um, I never really talked about my brother's death when it happened. It was very hard for me because we were really close. 
And when I first started taking the very first film that I'd made with the youth and taking it into schools and sharing it, I essentially was forcing myself to talk about that story that I told you. So I was forcing myself to talk about my brother. It was healing. It was really a way for me to come to terms with pain. And, and honestly, it's funny because that's what I'm really focusing on with my next film is I think that we get scared of pain. I really got to congratulate you because I really think that Listen is something where you made a lot with little. You used your resources well. You got great actors. Um, I think all of the people we had involved in this project were, were in it. And I made that very clear from the beginning. Like I had everybody read the script and say, if you are not connected to this, this work, I don't want you working on this because this can't just be a job. For me, making movies is not a job. You know, it's a passion. So if I have people on my set that it is a job, even though I know they need to make a paycheck to live, but I want it to be more than that. And if I find people that are not, you know, don't have that secondary connection to the work, I don't want to work with them. As soon as you make something personal, you get more emotion. Everybody's in it for a much better reason. There's a little bit of a foundation there where they kind of feel more connected to the project and they'll give more to it. I think it's like that with any kind of artistic endeavor, you know, anything that's a approach from a personal perspective always is richer. I agree. What were some of the steps? Like, I remember you told me the story where you had to lock yourself in a room to, and mm. write the script. Mm -hmm. You know, for that, for some of those students out there who have seen your film that you talked to and who are going to end up becoming filmmakers, tell me about some of those challenges that you had to, you know, some of those building blocks that you had to put together to make that movie, like, like the writing of it. Like, cause obviously it's something that you had in you a long time, but not everybody has a lot of time to sit down and words on paper. Yes. Well, we need a lot of time to talk about all the challenges, but I mean, if you're going to start with the How long writing, was it in the making even? Well, I mean, I had been traveling for, uh, I've been traveling for 10 years and I think this started percolating in about two to three years, like seriously percolating about two to three years after I had started traveling all over doing these presentations. And I started taking notes. I had, you know, moleskine notebooks full of notes. And my wife, she started getting sick of me talking about this project that I wanted to make. And then ultimately came to, I think about maybe f four or five years after thinking about this for three years, she said, you know what, just go don't talk about it anymore. Just go write it. <laughs> Lock yourself in a room. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it. And I and I told her, I said, well, I can't, I can't do it here because we were starting our family and, and she had work and, you know, and, and so she said, well, go down, go downtown, stay at a hotel. And so I literally uh, booked a hotel for three days and all I was planning to do was to write, exercise, eat, um, and that's it. Order a lot of pizza. Yeah. Well, actually, I went out a lot because I was like, I got to get out of the room. But so I did that. And then I called her on the third day and said, listen, I need one more day. And wow. Because you really had a deadline there. You said, yeah. she said, go do it. You got three days. You got three days off. Go and do it. Yeah. Take advantage of that. Yeah. And I was, and I literally, that's all I did. And I was able to get the entire story structure and rough of the script done in four days. If I had to write something, locking myself in a room would probably be the worst thing. Like if I'm in one spot, I have a hard time thinking. I, I would do my best thinking walking or driving. Well, and I agree with that. I think what I was tr when I was traveling and being around and kind of 
contemplating these questions and what I wanted to say, I was doing all of that thinking while I was on boots on the ground. But then you, there's got to be a point where you take what you're thinking and start to put it down into clear, concise structure. And so that's what I really needed. I, I don't think I can do the structure while I'm thinking. So when people ask me about my creative process, I always say it's marination. Like I need to marinate and, and allow my subconscious to help solve those issues for me. And it's incredible how that works. Like if, you're, if you keep yourself, well, it's funny, being self-aware but if, and, and talking about listening, if you pay attention- Listen to yourself, it's it, hard. Absolutely. And if you pay attention to those things, you'll be, you'll be able to solve some of those challenges that you have on your own, but you, you have to be paying attention. You have this movie and you show it a lot in high schools, uh, auditoriums, and you get the added benefit that I don't think other filmmakers have, where you actually see the responses of your audience immediately. And then you have question sessions with them afterwards and with the students and with the teachers and the parents. It's cool that you're doing that. Has that changed your perception on how you should make films? Yeah, it's a challenging avenue. It's, it's, it's a harder avenue to do because you got to be conscious of how the content, you know, might not be, you know, appropriate. And some artists would be like, well, I want my actor to say the word fuck and take their clothes off. And they're like, well, that's not going into a school. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> um, no. I, I chose that avenue and it's been amazing. And I believe we've shown it to over 100,000 students and educators so far because of exactly what you talked about, that experience that you have when you're watching a powerful piece of content with people. I mean, the average screening size in the first district we rolled out to was like 950 people. The average screening size in the second was 2,000. Wow. So imagine watching a movie with 2,000 people that are complete strangers to most of you, but then starting to cry and looking over and seeing this person that you passed in the hall every day that you thought was this you know, big macho jock crying or cheering. Well, that's it, that personal experience because they know the people they're sitting next to. They know the person in back of them. They see the teacher there. It's a whole other experience. It's incredible. And I think that's the way movies should be watched. And and what's sad about, you know, our current day um, where we're at with technology is, you know, you see cable companies or, or phone companies now advertising, hey, we have enough bandwidth that your house hold of five people can now go all into their separate rooms and yeah. watch a different show. It's like, that's not how I grew up watching content. The family sat down, watched it together. And if I had a question like, why did he do that? My, my mom or dad would answer that question. Now they're not doing that. They got a question, they keep watching and then, or they look it up on Google or whatever. And I think that that's, that's sad. And, and it's, I think it's also dangerous. And yeah. Because that's a shared experience that people are missing out on. Like I can remember watching, always staying up late at night and watching Johnny Carson mm-hmm. with my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nothing. Well, I mean, back then there's probably like six channels on TV, but you know, and that was what made it special. And did you look forward to it? A hundred percent. You know, it was like every, okay, hey, we've got another half an hour and then Johnny Carson is on, you know, it was yeah. a big event. Did that Does that exist anymore? Rarely, unless you as a parent you know, organize it, make sure your family sits down together. And so that was really gratifying. And the students, you know, some of the greatest comments that I received after doing those kinds of experiences was like a principal saying, you basically took my entire school and created an in-school field trip. Because when we shut the lights up, which they were afraid, imagine 2000 students in a gym. And I'm like, please shut the lights off as the film's playing. They're like, are you crazy? 
And I said, no, just trust me. Give, give it about seven minutes. See what happens. There's probably some anxiety. Like you feel a little bit of that, the tension in the uh, air. Yeah. You know, there's that silence beforehand. The kids are wrestling. You know, you got to get them to stay quiet, even more so than probably in a theater where people are more behaved with strangers. Well, yeah, because they paid 10 bucks, so they figured out they have to. But I mean, these kids, it takes just the opening sequence and they're in. And the principals were like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. You know, students would say it was more than just a movie. It was an experience. We had a chance to talk about it after, discuss it. And I think that's what we should be doing more of. Like nowadays, technology and the pace of society is really kind of conditioning us to, to not think, you know, to not ask questions, to just believe it. You know, like think about the fake news. All of that stuff is is don't believe this, don't believe this. And I'm saying, well, what we should do is embrace the experience, have the conversation about it so we can understand why we're thinking and feeling and be okay with how someone might think or feel differently than yeah, us. Yeah, and that's okay. We all don't, I mean, it's horrible if we all thought the same, felt the same, liked the same things. It's diversity that, uh, you know, is that imperfection that makes something beautiful. Absolutely, and at the end of the day, it's about truly learning to listen. That's being silent, open, curious, and respectful. And so it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling experience in itself. Man, I think that was awesome. I think I'm going to cap it right there, but I got 10 rapid fire questions for you. All right, you ready for this? (laughs) Do I have to respond really quickly? Nah, do it any way you want, uh, off topic from what we were talking about. Okay. Dusk or dawn? Mm, Dusk. Favorite junk food? I don't know if it's considered a junk food, but dark chocolate. Say a word in Spanish. Being. Who has it easier, men or women? <laughs> Depends where you live. <laughs> Godfather or Star Wars? Uh, Godfather. What's your biggest pet peeve? Wow, that's a good question. My biggest pet peeve is, is a mess. What's a body part that you wouldn't mind losing? <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, what is a party part that I wouldn't mind losing? Oh, gosh, that that's hard. I like my body. <laughs> Give me a second. I guess maybe my pinky. Yeah, that's a good one. I think so. Favorite driving song? Roadhouse Blues, The Doors. Favorite movie? Well, it used to be American Beauty. Now the movie's kind of tainted um, for... For (laughs) for obvious reasons. But, um, oh gosh, true romance. Yeah, good one. If you could know the absolute and total truth to one question, what question would you ask? Hmm. Who shot JFK? (laughs) No. Wow, that's a good question. Absolute truth? Some you might find out in the end regardless. Just that you want to know it now. What happened at the end of Sopranos? <laughs> okay, I got it. It's going to be a long answer, but when I show my films, and this doesn't necessarily have to be listened, but when I've got kids or audience members that watch the content and are provoked to be, you know, have an not an adverse reaction, but maybe a negative response like, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. To know whether, after they had a chance to really sit with it, did they change the way they kind of see something? To know if it reached them in a much deeper level 
after time or to be like they still didn't care or didn't like it. And it's not even like it, but didn't connect to it. Yeah, because you're giving back to them, I think, a lot that your brother gave to you, that choice just to see things a little bit different. I mean, if you just change, you know, a percent of the population of young kids' frame of minds, I think that's amazing. Aram, thank you, amigo. Hey, it was a pleasure. 